Pizza Noir by Denver Day, Book 2, Chapter 12, Greener Pastures. Unless there were any more monster fights or other bizarro flare-ups before morning, Smith thought, it seemed less important to be anywhere except at the coroner's office getting through more shark topsies to see what else they had inside them. The county men had bagged up three dead sharks, and it was determined that the half-swallowed woman animal that would not be removed from the shark maw she was half-stuck in in order to leave the evidence as pristine as possible for Coroner Thompson. They bagged up the headless clerk, too, and his head, and rolled them all to the morgue. Smith phoned the coroner, and she met them there. I have a date, Smith, Detective Thompson announced after the bodies were gone, extricating himself from his work desk. You can stay up late with this lot. Besides, it seems to me these sharks are your deal, not mine. Please tell Dixie for me that I will be around tomorrow sometime to check out our new wolf lady. Good luck. Fair enough, Thompson, Smith answered. Beyond hauling the bodies off to preserve also for later evaluation the scene of the incident. They locked up the convenience store in a state of precisely as is, retaining the muddy, bloody, multi-species goo that covered nearly all of the surfaces in the store like wet pink lacquer. Smith and two of the city units made their way to the coroner's office where the detective remained with Dixie until about 2 a.m. It had already been quite clear what had killed the clerk, a Chinese guy whose identification defined him as Lawrence Chang, 48. And the facts of his demise became even more indisputable when Dixie cut open her first shark, the belly of which contained the clerk's head, eyeglasses, and ball cap, as well as a couple of sea bass and several large bags of sour cream and onion potato chips. The chips and the bags they came in, and some beef jerky sticks also still in their wrappers. When she gutted the second grade white, the one full of buckshot inside of it, they were surprised to find Beep Beep Beaver of the Chino Wheeled Beaver's Bank Track Roller Derby team, a survivor of Saturday night's parking lot massacre. Tonight, she was no survivor. So far. So far. Anyway, this was, of course, at least her second time to die, and in addition to Beep Beep, this second shark, like the first, had quite a bit of seafood and quite many convenience store snacks also and treats of various kinds inside of her shark guts. For the third shark topsy, the coroner cut open the fish's belly, which revealed the rest of the woman animal, whose legs were, of course, still hanging out of the shark's mouth, having been swallowed head first. <coughs> Stitched across the back of her derby skirt was her handle, sugar. Somebody made a joke. The city cops and Smith helped Dixie pry the thing from the throat of the shark, and she put the two warm animals uh, on each their own tables and bound firmly their hands and feet. By 11 on Saturday morning, Kelly Sammies was a rolling boil, grandly fueled by Tina Santos's friends and loved ones, as well as many opportunistically festive students and barflies leaning into the inertia of the sax player's wake. Looking slightly out of hat, Smith thought, and noticing, rather noting them immediately as he walked in the door were the dry, alert, and watchful members of Wells' straight-edged punk band, gathered boozeless in a booth. But they wore their anachronism well in various states of plaid and clean-pressed t-shirts and felt hats upon slick heads. The detective nodded at them as he walked in. At a booth near the crowded bar, he saw Santos' bandmates solemnly playing cards and drinking black beer. 
The regular usual cat was behind the bar pouring pitchers and taking down short order tickets for the kitchen. The smell of the tavern this morning was a pedigree of coffee, expensive stout ale, French, onion soup, and rain. Smith did not see Foster and Wilson or Janice Allison yet. About noon, the bar cleared and the crowd moved outside into the rain, boarded a bus, and rode to the graveside ceremony. After most everyone else had cleared the bar, Smith followed in his own vehicle. Likewise did Wells' bandmates. The ceremony would be short, about 30 minutes, and then everyone would get back on the bus and go back to the bar. As he pulled up to the graveyard, Smith took a call from the lieutenant. How's the funeral? A lot of musicians and alcohol, Smith answered. I just took another call from Thompson. He's over at the Carnes. He said he was checking on the new monsters that you two bagged up last night. Anyway, he says his two new femme animals are still there, but he said your three sharks were gone, McKinney said. So keep your eyes peeled, eh? Touch base with Dixie when you have time. He hung up his phone, got out of the car, and walked toward the crowd as the ceremony had just begun. Foster, Wilson, and Ms. Allison were now at hand, performing the rites in plain clothes, were a man and woman of some natural religion or another, whichever Santos' preference had been. Smith, the Buddhist, was somewhat relieved that he did not have to hear the ashes to ashes rope.